The word today comes from Book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 2 through 11, and 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and the day and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part seven of our series, uh, Most Deeply Human. And you're wondering, when are we going to get off Second Peter <laughs> chapter 1? Um, soon, very, very soon. We're about to shift, um, you know, shift our focus in this series. It's, I don't know, there's a part of me that's thinking like, gosh, it's a deep, deep and big time <laughs> series. Hard to start it in the summer, but um, I, 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 think, I think it's really worth it to come out of COVID and to really think about the deepest things. Before your life gets too busy and too intense and while you're still semi-hunkered down, um, maybe we can think and wrestle with this, this issue. Um, will, where's our identity? And what is it that our identities or are we moving to in our destiny? Okay. So today I want to talk about um, are you blind and nearsighted? There's a verse in here that talks about Blind and nearsighted. Or do you have far sight? And I've, I, I've talked about um, the, the title of this message is far sighted unto eternal glories. And so where do you put your, where do you fix your vision and your sight? 
your attention. And that's the issue I really want us to wrestle with today, all right? So let's get at it. Part one, the great drama in your life and in history, okay? The great drama in your life and in history. Part two, seeing and seeking your eternal glory. Seeing and seeking. So seeing, not just seeking it, but you have to see it. Seeing and seeking your eternal glory. And part three, growing more human in the most deeply human person. All right? That's part three. Growing more human in the most deeply human person. That's part three. Okay? Um, I want to... I, I, I decided to take us to this passage. It's a bit of a lengthy passage, and I don't want to take too much time to um, try to unpack it. If you have been with me for a while, you've probably heard me preach on this passage, Revelation 4, Revelation 5. They're actually two of the most incredible passages in the Bible, and um, I just want to just take you a little bit through Revelation chapter 4. It's super relevant to, this, to the series that we're in today. And um, so let me just, you go, you get it, it's a scene. So the uh, Apostle John is in this great vision, and in this great vision, you know, the Holy Spirit takes him to the scene. It's like, it's like the culmination of all history. And what happens is it, it's strange. There's one sitting on the throne. It says he has the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. I, I, don't, I don't even know what Carnelian is, but it must be great, okay? And um, around the throne, there's a rainbow. There's the appearance of an emerald. And then there's 24 elders around the throne. And then you get this even stranger thing. You have these four creatures. They have all these eyes, you know, okay, et cetera. It's, we it's weird, okay? So let me just first just give you a, a quick little explanation. The throne, the person sitting on the throne, that's God, okay? There's 24 elders. This is what it represents. 12 elders represents the 12 tribes of Israel. So each elder represents every tribe of the chosen people of God. Then there's 12 more elders, and what do they represent? They represent the fullness of all the other tribes everywhere else. So why are there 24 elders? It's symbolic language. What it's saying is every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity, they're all there. They all bow down to the one who is on the throne. That's what this passage is saying, right? And then there's these four creatures. I know they have all the eyes. They see all things. So there's all these different creatures. And I won't get into the creatures, but that's another way of saying every living creature. Okay? So it's not too hard to understand, is it? I know a lot of people are like, oh, Revelation is so weird. It, it is, it is, it is kind of weird. But it's actually not hard to understand, is it? So you have to have some, some depth of biblical theology. I just gave it to you. So here's what's going on. Every tribe... The leader of every tribe, every nation is there. They're bowing down to God. All the creatures are there. They're bowing down to God. The, all the, um, um, and then what are they saying? So, you know what they're saying? They're basically saying what we sang in our first song. So, you can, I, I was actually thinking this. And by the way, our, our, our praise that he didn't know that this was going to be the text today. I always kind of think, oh, like, is that just coincidence or what? I don't think so, but... Um, he, he chose a song where they're saying this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
Anytime the Bible says that word again, and then says it twice, says it three times, you know what it's trying to tell you? This is what's, what matters. Holy, 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 holy multiple times. Holy a thousand times. The greatest thing that's out there is holiness. Why do they bow down to God? It did not say, well, because you're powerful. <laughs> because if we don't bow down to you, you'll cast us out into hell. No, it's, it's because if we don't bow down to you, you'll kill us. Oh, we, it's because you, you hold all the cards. That's not what it says. They willingly bow down, all the creatures, all 24 elders, which means all the tribes. And why do they bow down? The glory that causes them to get bowed down is nothing like religious or like there's something I have to do. It's so, it's the absolute greatest glory that there is in the Bible. It's holiness. It's the holiness of God. Let me just point out a couple other things here. It says, um, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. And then they say, holy, holy, holy. So, I know you live in, you know, we all live here in this kind of secular 21st century America, and we don't use this weird language. We cast our crowns. Like, what, what the heck is that? What does that even mean? We don't live in a monarchical culture where people wear crowns. But you know what? Let, let me try to give you a little bit of a 21st century translation for us. A crown is a symbol of authority and glory. That's what it is. It's a symbol of of authority and glory. So maybe you were in high school <laughs> and, you know, somebody got to be, you know, like the, the prom queen, okay? And maybe at your high school, it wasn't at my high school, they actually put like a little crown on her head, right? And so at your high school, they're saying, this is like the most popular, beautiful girl in our school and here's a special occasion and her glory you know, being popular and beautiful, that is, we'll, put, we'll, put, we'll give you a crown for that. And, of course, Miss Universe, Miss America gets that. You know, um, I, um, I, I'm a tennis fan, and right now, I don't know if you guys know this, but the French Open is going on, and the French Open is one of the great, great tennis tournaments in the world, and, um, and I won't tell you who won, okay, but... Uh, like just a couple days ago, there was a match between two of the greatest, greatest players of all time. So if you don't watch tennis, you're like, okay, this is not interesting. <laughs> okay, But if you, or if you even think about this question of crowns and glory, well, these two greatest players, they have been crowned with Grand Slam tournaments. Like there's three players that are playing right now. They're the three greatest players, more crowned than any other players in all of history. And two of them faced each other two days ago. And they had a match, which was, like, I watched this match. And I texted one of my friends that this is the greatest clay court match I've ever seen. That's what I said. It was that, it was that good. And then, of course, one beat the other guy, barely. And he didn't get a crown because he didn't win the tournament yet. But you know what happened? His glory was like there for all the world to see because he beat the other guy <laughs> who's like the greatest, okay? So, so when I say this, now think about this. These 24 elders, they represent the greatest 
the highest. They have the crown of all the nations and all the tribes. Okay? Some tribes care about, you know, like scholarship. So they produce the greatest universities, the greatest scientists, the greatest inventions. You know, that's like one, that some tribes and nations are like that. Some tribes and nations are like, we produce the toughest. We have the greatest army, the greatest warriors. We're the, we're the, we're the most brave people. Our women raise the bravest people, okay? And you know what these 24 elders and all the tribes did? They took their crown of glory and they threw it down before God. And they threw it down before God and they said, there's something better than all of these crowns. These crowns are basically nothing compared to this. Holy, 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 a thousand times holy. This is what makes you, this is why we bow down. And then the pastor goes on and says, worthy. You know, and I want to just say a little something about this. There's a lot of people who think that you should be a Christian just because it's the right religion. Well, it is the right religion. And then because it's the right religion, they're the right things to do. And then because they tell it's the right religion, they'll tell you the right things to do. You shouldn't question that. You should just do it. You should just worship. The Bible does not agree with that. It does not say that in the Bible. That way of thinking, that's, that's legalism. It doesn't actually, the Bible pours contempt on legalism. What it says here is worthy. We're bowing down because we have to. No. You are worth this. I take this crown. I throw it down. Because holiness makes you worthy. That's what the passage says. Now, this is the ultimate crown. There's, like, there's, there's never going to be a greater crown. There's never going to be a greater award. And the Bible is telling you right here in all of the drama of everywhere you go in history, everywhere you and I go, there's always some drama of glory. Small g. You know, you walk into the room. You know, you're like, ladies, you walk into the room. You just had your hair done. You just got a new dress. You look fantastic. Great. You walk into the room and you wonder, oh my goodness, she has the same haircut <laughs> and the same dress that I do, and it's a little bit of a little moment of horror. What's going on here? It's a clash of glories. That's what's going on there. And that's just um, like a little social event. You know, guys show up, and we have, you know, there's your dude way of doing the same thing, right? And that's, that's not the French Open. <laughs> it's not the Academy Awards. It's not who's going to win the presidency. You know, it's, it's not like who makes the most money, all these other small g glories, and yet, you know, like the, the crown issues going on all the time. It's all the time. But the question I want to ask of you is, do you know that the biggest drama going on in your life has nothing to do with your money or how pretty you are or how strong you are or how many other, how many other people esteem you? It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with holy. <laughs> Holiness is the thing that when everybody comes to their senses, we're not living in some crazy, like, lying-filled, like, corrupt, dying world when everybody kind of, like, knows what is finally truly true and what is most worthy, 
they're going to take their crowns and they're going to throw them down before holiness. And here's the incredible thing in the Bible. God is sitting on this throne. The next chapter is everybody's going to bow down before Jesus. Actually, that song that we were singing from is Revelation 5. You know what Jesus is? Jesus is God himself with the full totality of the holy divine nature become human. And you know what he represents? He's representing all that God, what makes him most worthy, most glorious, far above every crown there is or possibly ever will be. He's saying, I'm going to give this to you. I will confer holiness upon you. That's the gift. That's what he wants to give. So, you know, we get, like, upset and angry at God if we don't get into the right college. <laughs> or if, you know, if, if uh, we didn't get that promotion. Or something like this. Or if, you know, some piece of, of uh, wait, wait a second, you know, like, my, my, my mother got cancer. That wasn't in the plans. But actually, all those things, whether you get the job or don't get the job, whether you get this small little G glory in the world, the bigger drama is the holiness drama. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you get that? And the bigger gift that God wants to give you is the holiness of Jesus Christ, the most human being. He is the greatest human being. He is the most human human because he is divinely holy, which is what God intended for you and me. That's the drama. So, six sermons. <laughs> so finally I can say this to you. <laughs> and then you're like, well, maybe you're some of you are like, why didn't you say this at the beginning, Pastor? I would have paid more attention. Okay, sorry, that's a decision, all right? It's a choice. But I hope you can begin to think this is where we're going. So, um, uh, let's stop there. That's part one. Let's go to part two. So there's this... Uh, I want to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, and um, so let me just say to you, let's go to verse 3, and, and I want to connect just a couple dots here. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called, to us, called us to his own glory and excellence. He called us to his own glory and excellence. So now, what is his own glory and excellence? Revived Church, if you just actually listen to what I just said, the answer is in Revelation chapter 4. His own glory and excellence is holy, holy, holy. All our crown is nothing compared to. His great glory is holiness. What has he called you and me to? That's what he wants to give you. His own glory and excellence. Not like, a, you know, not, not Steve Jobs' glory, right? Not, not that, that, that other woman whose life you've always envied. She's got the perfect kids and the great husband that you always thought that you wanted. Not their glory, his glory. That's, that's one verse. But today I want to focus on verse 8 and 9, okay? So there's these verses that I, I preached to you the last couple of weeks that says, if you have faith, seek virtue, knowledge, self-control, etc. 
Okay, a series of things. If you're going to pursue holiness, you should supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, etc. But here's the part that I haven't really emphasized yet. I want to go to verse 8 and 9. Listen to this. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. So let me just say this a little bit. First, if you have some of these qualities, great. Then you want more. Okay? And are increasing. Do you see that part? If these qualities are yours, then you want them to be increasing. So whatever level you have of virtue, knowledge, self-control, you want more. So if you have it, great. Don't go around thinking like, I have virtue, knowledge, self-control. You don't. See, I'm good. You're not. You should never have the pride. You should be thinking like, oh, they should be increasing. Whatever amount you have, they should be increasing. And the second thing I just want to say is, and if you don't have it, let me ask you, will you pursue it? If you don't have it, will you pursue it? Will you make this a focus in your life? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, verse 8, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, let me just say a little something here about ineffective and unfruitful. Um, most of you, a lot of you guys are like Asians, not all of you. A lot of you are high achievers, probably almost all of you, <laughs> regardless of whether you're Asians. This is a high-achieving type society. Do you want to be ineffective or unfruitful in anything that you do? I've never talked to one of you who's like, yeah, working out. I'm perfectly fine if that's ineffective, Pastor. <laughs> I'm just good with that. <laughs> I'm working out, and, you know, after doing this for six months, if I, I'm fatter, I'm flabbier. I have less energy. No problem. Anybody, anybody okay with that? <laughs> Nobody's okay with that. <laughs> but let me also say something else. So just on the most basic level, you should not be okay with that. And second thing is, if you're unfruitful, which is another way of saying ineffective, you know, there's warnings in the Bible. So, like, I don't generally go around emphasizing these texts to you. But there's warnings like this. When the Lord looks at you know, you know, fruit. He's like, okay, let's look at this branch. Is there any fruit? He has these paths. There's these things where Jesus says, like, ah, no fruit. Let's cut it off and throw it into the fire. <laughs> at some point, your life should be, like, growing toward virtue. You should be growing toward self-control. You should be growing toward brotherly affection and love. If you're just at a place where, like, none of that's happening... By the way, you just get to a place where it doesn't happen. It's just, it doesn't like, I'm, I'm, this is the level I'm at. I'm just going to stay at this level. That's not how it works. If it's not increasing, it usually starts doing like, eh, like this. <laughs> it's like if it's not growing in brotherly affection, it's usually decreasing in brotherly affection. If, you don't, if you're not growing in self-control, it's like usually going down in self-control. And let me just say, does it seem mean of God to want to like say, this part is not growing in effectiveness or fruitfulness. We should, like, get it out of here. I think that isn't mean of God. That's just real. In your company, if you have somebody on your team, they're ineffective and not fruitful, you know what? 
you're not even the boss. You know, you're thinking like, I hope this person gets fired. <laughs> or I hope this person leaves. Or I hope this person gets transferred. Because they're a drag driving everybody else crazy. Because if they're not doing their work, you're doing their work. <laughs> right? That's what's going on. And, but here's the other part of it. The other way that the Lord does it before he kind of throws you into the fire, you know what he'll do? He'll prune you. That's the other thing Jesus says. And you know what pruning means? Cutting off the parts that get in the way. <laughs> Cutting off the parts. And sometimes pruning hurts. But it's good. <laughs> it's really good. And so there's a lot of people today, especially young people today, they think they're going to run through life and it's never going to like fall down. There's never going to be pruning. So sometimes maybe if your life, there's failure or hurt, maybe this is pruning. It's a chance to think about holiness. <laughs> don't just think about success. It's, don't just think success, like mostly, success, failure, success, failure. We're like, so this is it. But maybe there should be a pursuit of these other things. Now let me say the next verse, verse 9. Okay, verse 9, it says this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. He's so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Which is another way of saying, if you're cleansed from your former sins, that you're saved and redeemed. So that Jesus can give you all of his glory and excellence. You know, you and I are never just saved so that now we can just put around be ineffective and fruitless, and then just decide, you know, I just wanted the comfortable life. Jesus, can you just get me through this comfortable life, and then I'll just get to go to heaven? That's not what he saved us for. He said, nope, sorry, that's not going to happen, because if you think like that, you know what you're doing? You're asking for pruning. <laughs> that's what you're asking for. As soon as you have that, you're like, oh, that's a sinful and wicked desire. I guess we're going to have to work on you, because the answer to a heart that's like that is, we better prune that heart. Whatever that desire is inside that heart, the Lord is going to prune. But the way it looks like is nearsighted and blind. So this is what I mean by, um, I gave you this text, the Revelation 4 text. Revelation 4 text is helping you see like really far into the deepest ultimacy of history and of your own life. So I want to just ask you a little question here. When you get to that day when we're all bowing down, are, are you somebody in your life who have said, I took my crown and I threw it down because this, before holiness, that was, that was, do you want to be one of those kind of people? Or do you want to be one of those saying, oh my goodness, I didn't ever do any of that. <laughs> All I ever did was just, I just wanted my own little earthly glory, you know, small G crown. That's all I cared about. And then, and then like pruning, I didn't, I didn't care about pruning. And if you believe in Jesus, I think you're still going to be saved. But when you get in front of everybody, they're gonna, you know, everybody's going to know how everybody lived, okay? So there's no hiding. So if you're in, your, if in the secret of your life, you're like, I'm just going to be, have this worldly thing and then this holiness thing that like Susan talks about. Okay, that's a little too much for me. We'll just kind of put that aside because I'm, I just really am fixated on small g glories in my crown. 
if you get to heaven, everybody's going to know that that was really, really crappy. <laughs> and everybody's going to know that that's, what you, that's the way you want to live your life. Everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know, okay? Your kids, your parents, your whole name, everybody, everybody, okay? And they're going to size you up. And, well, actually, they're not going to have to size you up because it will be absolutely apparent, and it will be infallibly known, infallibly known. When you go before the people now, they, they go, oh, I think this is a good person, and they don't actually know if that's true or not, right? It's fallibly known whether you're good or not good. But in the future, it will be infallibly known. And so let's say they, let's just, let's just take two Christians. One, a very worldly Christian whose identity was going to be built on small g, worldly crowns, worldly comfort, worldly glories, okay? And then there's another Christian who somewhere in their life said, I'm going to throw down my crown because compared to holiness, it's nothing. So this person gets sank because they get cleansed more and more of their of their dark and bad desires, I mean, the person who, is, who chooses to cast down their crowns, and, and then let's just say, let's just, I don't know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to come up with some number, okay? Let's say they're like 70% forgiven, and 30% they're becoming more gloriously holy. You're like, wow, that's not good. 70% is like lots of sin, and they're going to be, that's kind of what it's like, by the way, <laughs> right? A really holy person is still mostly forgiven. That's really what it's like. It's all by grace. So you meet these truly holy people who are so close to Jesus, and they're like, not much. I'm so not much. And you know what? They're right. They're totally right. But compared to the other guy, let's say, so the other person is like 5% grown in holiness and 95% forgiven. So let me ask you this question. As you grow throughout your life and your identity is being shaped, which glory do you want to pursue? Hmm? Which glory do you want to pursue? That's the thing I want to ask you. Now, now let's give me one more illustration before I close. Um, and this was, I don't mean to be kind of mean, but <laughs> this is kind of the truth of us, right? This past week, um, I was thinking about this because I can't help but think about this because, you know, my illustrations come from whatever I'm thinking about. Do you notice? I was watching the French Open, so I'm telling you about the French Open, okay? So this week, I was thinking about a dog because we dog sat all week, okay? We dog sat all week. And this dog, you know, I won't say it's a a dog of, of one of the families in our church. And so this dog is a puppy, and this dog is so crazy cute, okay? So crazy cute. And this dog is so loving. So from, like, the joy point of view, when you're around this dog, it's, like, maximum cute, beautiful, and maximum loving, beautiful, okay? But on the other hand, this dog pees everywhere because <laughs> she's a puppy. <laughs> and this dog is sneaky <laughs> and uh, and, and this dog laid a, a few turds in our living room, okay? So this is our house. We have this super cute dog that we love, and, 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 and she, she lays some turds in our living room, okay? And we have carpet, by the way, okay? So, and my wife 
this week, I found out that my wife's holiness has clearly grown because, you know, in the past, when a dog laid a turd on our carpet, my wife kind of like, ah, she kind of freaked out, okay? And um, instead, this week, super, like, filled with self-control and virtue. See, just like the passage. That's what I saw in my wife, okay? So you can be, like, glad to know your pastor's wife is holy or growing in holiness, far better than me anyway. And so, but here, here's what I want to, here's the illustration I want to say. The inside of you, your soul, it's like your house, okay? It's actually a lot bigger than your house. The outside of you is not, is not very big. The outside of you is like you're six foot three, you're, it's a little bigger than the person who's five foot two. The outside of you, everybody is so interested in their outside, their skinniness, their good looks, how many gray hairs, or lack of hair, youthfulness, etc. And then, you know, what clothes they're wearing and what status they have has all to do the external. It's everything that we're so fixated on, all these little small g, small little crowns. But the inside of you is a gigantic house. Your soul is like this infinitely large house. That's why you feel empty in there. And when you feel empty in there, it's really, really painful. Because it's so big. The reason it's so big is because you're intended to be an infinite, <laughs> you know, like you, toward infinite glory, the glory of God and his excellence. And if it's going to be filled up, the space in there has to be like huge. If God's glory is so big that all the crowns are going to be cast down and he's going to share it with you, he's going to make the inside of you gigantic. So the inside of you is like your house. And it's not a little house. What's going on inside there is like in our soul, what we have is we have like turd in the living room. <laughs> and you know what we do? We don't clean it up. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> it's like there's just turd sitting there in the living room. It's on the carpet. And I don't know if you know what it's like to have turd in your living room. We found out this week. It's not fun, <laughs> right? You got a piece of turd sitting in the living room. You know what you do? If you don't clean it up, you don't walk over there. You're like, okay, okay, let's. <laughs> you know, you, you, don't go, you don't walk there. You don't put anything there. You just avoid that old place. And that's what happens in life. There's somewhere on your soul, and there's just some piece of turd. And here, obviously, it's a metaphor. We're talking about your sins, your corruptions, your selfishness, your lack of virtue, where there's no brotherly affection. <laughs> there's no steadfastness. There's no, like, staying power. It's like, I will love you for, like, three weeks until I don't. <laughs> I will be happy and kind to you until... You disappoint me in two weeks, and then I won't. No steadfastness. So all the virtues are like, I have virtue, but no steadfastness. How about that? That's like the turd. <laughs> and it's in all our living room, and we don't want to clean it up. But if you don't clean it up, a lot of us think, well, nobody could see that because it's inside. <laughs> right? Nobody can see it. Nobody can see it. Nobody can smell it. And quite frankly, it's true. If you came to our house this week, 
and we, you didn't come in, you'd have no idea there's a dog turd right in the middle of our living room, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But if we let you in, you'd go, whoa. <laughs> and you would probably go, I, let, can we like hang out in the, in the family room? <laughs> That's probably what you'd be thinking, right? But don't, don't worry, we, we cleaned up. Okay, we, we, like Elizabeth is, she's scrubbing it up. She she knows the right chemicals, etc. Right? And you know what God wants to do? He wants to wash out all the turd. And then the inside of this very huge and beautiful house will be beautiful and glorious. And then He wants to decorate it with all His glory and excellence. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. And he doesn't want to come into your house. And by the way, that is the point of salvation. (laughs) The point of salvation is the most glorious one is not going to stay outside of the house and go, that's a nice paint job. (laughs) He's going to come in and live there. (laughs) That's what he wants. And so, I want to ask you this question. Do you want to agree with God? He wants to do this thing where he cleans all this stuff out and then turns you into his own glory and excellence. The term for that, um, that the Christian pastors use for that is sanctification. (laughs) And sanctification means to make you more holy. (laughs) That's what it means. Some people go, it's a religious word. It's not a religious word. It's about casting down your crowns for something far greater. And it's about the virtues grow so that the turds go away. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. <laughs> now let me close with the great, great gospel. Right? Here's the drama. You were made human. I've already said this. Do you want to be human like an animal? Okay, you know, like this animal, it's like the strongest chimp, <laughs> okay? And like rules their roost. Do you want that? You want to be like more like devil? Push down everybody, hate down everybody, because like we're going to win through condemnation and hatred. Or do you want to be like the Holy One of God who made himself human so that human beings could be more divine and partake of the divine nature through his great and awesome promises. That's what he did. Now, the way I want to close out this message is I want to take you back through this pursuit. This is the way I want to close this message, all right? So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this, and here's the way I want to close this out. You know, because... Um, we always think, okay, pastor, now he's going to, like, motivate me. He's going to tell me something really good. Okay, those of you who have been with me, you know this is what I'm going to do. But I hope you're not thinking about yourself. I'm going to take you through this, these verses, but I don't want you to think about yourself. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. Fix your eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer is the one who goes where we haven't gone. 
He goes like ahead of us. The perfecter, like, let me use a little bit like a perfecter. Eh, we have like issues with that word perfect. The completer of our faith. In us, we're incomplete. The one who pioneers and goes before us, but he will complete this for us. And when I read these verses, I don't want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about Jesus. Okay? Listen to these verses now. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So let's just start here first. Okay, did Jesus have faith? Did Jesus have faith? Jesus didn't just show up and go, I'm God. Let's just do this. (laughs) The cross. Okay, I'll check that box. Oh, these, these dirty people. You know what he had to do? He was very human. He had to believe in God and his promises and the Father's love for him and his promises for him. And that humanity and that faith. So, you know, when we believe in Jesus, his faith is imputed to us and then imparted to us. It's credited to you and then he wants to give it to you. It's not just your faith that you get when you believe in Jesus. Do you know what you get? You get his faith. Add to your faith virtue. Did not Jesus have virtue? So, here he is. Pharisee, rich, powerful person, prostitute. They're at the same dinner table. Is he nervous? Does he look down upon her? Is he kissing this person's like, you know, like kissing this person's ring? He has so much virtue, virtue that he's utterly humble, yet he is royal. He is utterly loving, and yet he is, he is not in any way soft. He is meek and gentle, and yet he is confident. They're his virtues. Don't you want virtues like that? You know what Jesus is saying? I want to give you that. I want to give you that. How about this? Add to those things knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. You know, I can't go through all these things. Let's just talk a little bit about self-control. Um, today we live in a time where there's so... I'm I'm laughing, but it's not, I don't mean it to be funny. I I laughed because otherwise I'd cry. (laughs) Today, there's so lack of self-control. So, Jesus from the Father says, not your power, not whether these people like you. I know that's what the world we care about. Power Money, success, whether people will like me. That's what we care about. But he kneels before the Father and and he says, do I have to drink this cup of the cross? If it's possible, can we go another way? And the Father says, no. (laughs) Why? Because it's about holiness. 
So then what does Jesus do? He could have been like, well, don't it, Father? This is a really bad deal. Those people, have you seen these people? That's not what he did. Father, yes, not my will, but yours. That's a tremendous piece where it masters himself. And then he goes on. He's in front of all these people, these completely gross and horrible people. Some are Romans. Some are the elites of the Jews. Here are the most hypocritical, quote-unquote, religious people. And here are some of these violent, oppressive, not-so-religious people. They're both horrible. They're like, truly, if he was anything like us, he would have squashed them like a bug. If it was me, I would have been like, are you serious? There would have been no self-control. All my rage and all my justice would have come out and I would have squashed them like a bug. Jesus goes on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. That's self-control. That's self-control. I want to close this way. Your life is like, imagine if your life is a movie. It's the movie of, you know, like Kathy. <laughs> or it's the movie of John, right? It's the movie of Walter. Like everybody knows this movie is about, you know, this person. If you watch the true story of this movie, you know what you're going to find out? The star isn't you. The star isn't you. The star is Jesus. Jesus is the one who will walk with you, and when your virtue fails and falters, his virtue will come toward you and into you by grace. When you don't have self-control, if you fix your eyes on him and walk with him, the star of the movie will give you more of his steadfastness, of his self-control. Can you believe that? This is the maximally magnificent promise of the gospel. All these weeks, I've been pointing out all these things to you. So I can get to this thing and say, will you pursue this? Would you please, please, please pursue this? You know, in your life, all these things are going to happen. Some, you're going to like, okay, I, ho I hope I get into this college. And then you don't. But you know what? So you're like, I'm the hero. The hero failed, didn't get into the college. <laughs> oh, I I'm going to be this really great father. I'm going to be this really great father. Oh, one of my kids hates me. Darn it. The hero failed. But actually, that's not how this movie works. Because the central plot of the movie is the drama of holiness. And the great hero is Jesus, not you, not me. And so be the supporting actor <laughs> and trust that the pioneer and completer of your faith, the most human one of deep glory, when you and I fail, 
actually, even when you succeed, you succeed. I'm so great. So great. That's like, you know, every time like Draymond Green goes up there, he makes, <laughs> like, that's what we do. <laughs> if you do that, that's, that's not very holy, by the way. Instead, what we say, oh, Jesus, give me more of your virtue. Give me more of your steadfastness. Give me holiness. Let's pray. Before I close this prayer, I want to ask you a question. I'd like you to go home and think about this 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. So, is it self-control that you feel like, I just don't have any of that? Brotherly affection, I don't have any of that. Today, would you ask the captain, the author, the pioneer, and completer of your faith. Lord, today, give me one step towards self-control. Let me ask you, would you pray for one of those things? And let's see where you are a year from now. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we fall down through success, pride, self-righteousness, Puff, being puffed up. We think we're making our way and we're going to build our identity in the worldly way with all these small g crowns. It's in the future, we're going to look at this crown and like, well, that wasn't worth much, was it? And then when we fail and fall down in the world, we think, oh no, my life is over. Okay, that's so bad and like, I'm not worth much and everybody doesn't like me. And yet, you have gone to the cross. You have shed your blood so that there's no failure that is too big for you. There's no failure that is too small that your holiness cannot swallow it up. Help us to believe that, Lord. Help us to trust in these great promises. And I want to pray today Whatever my brothers and sisters prayed for, maybe some prayed for brotherly affection, some prayed for steadfastness in Jesus, not because we are worthy, but in the name of Jesus, because you are worthy, Lord Jesus, would you say yes, of course. You would give us these maximally great promises, and we would find out that you are grace upon grace, love upon love, glory upon glory. And you would pour out your best holiness. Make us holy, Lord, like Jesus. Thank you that you would not settle for less. Thank you that you would not love us less. In Jesus' name, amen.